Hi, welcome to Musings with Monse, a podcast where I have meaningful conversations with all kinds of artists. Musicians, poets, photographers, and other creatives share their honest stories, touching on the duality of being creative, the pure joy of making art, but also the particular struggles that come with it. And honey, there's no way that I'll ever know Oh, everything about you, but oh, how I love what I do. And honey, I love what I don't know, too. Holly Miranda is a singer-songwriter who grew up in Detroit, but left home at 16 to pursue music. I've known Holly for a number of years now, and I was so happy to get the chance to sit down with her and chat in person while she was in San Francisco. During our conversation, Holly shares so many poignant stories. She tells us about her first music review and the power of music throughout her life, plus the health benefits of singing. On grief, she talks about the importance of letting yourself feel what you're feeling. We also chat about intergenerational friendships, chosen families, forgiveness, protecting yourself from negative energy, and much more. The way Holly has overcome life's challenges and found the beauty in them has been a source of inspiration to me, and I'm sure you're going to feel the same way. So here is my conversation with Holly Miranda. First of all, this is so exciting to do this, A, in person, and B, with T, my favorite thing, my favorite way to do the podcast interviews. Um, and it's so good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how I usually like to start the podcast is you are a singer-songwriter. That's what you do in this world right now, you know, mm-hmm. mainly for work. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you talk to me a little bit about who you are beyond what you do? However you'd like to unpack that and talk about it. Who I am beyond what I do. Um, Well, I mean, what I do is partly who I am, right? Not like defining yourself by what you do, like in a trite way. But um, there's that Buddha quote. It is... Never neglect your work for another's, however great his need. Your work is to discover your work and then with all your heart to give yourself to it. So I feel like part of my work is just rediscovering what my work is over and over and over, you know? And that sort of is like redefining who I am continuously, you know? Totally. And I mean, yeah, I've been a singer-songwriter, but I don't know how much music is really defining me anymore or what capacity it will play like in my life. Yeah. Or I think what what the role, it's changing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the sound healing that you're <laughs> diving into, because you were just telling me about it. Um, yeah, I don't know what, like, I mean, I just, I just did three and a half months of this, like, intensive uh, semester at a school called the Globe Institute in San Francisco for sound healing and sound therapy, which I think the word sound healing sounds like so ominous and kind of maybe a little like ooh you know what I mean like I'm definitely not uh identifying myself as like a healer (laughs) or um I mean I think we're all healers but I think we're all meant to heal ourselves you know yeah um so yeah I don't know I just uh my 
understanding of the power of music and what my role is with music has just been shifting over the last few years um, and it really kind of was drastically put on its head uh, with like the experience I had with the passing of my mother and so like I I sang to her for 17 days at the very 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 end she couldn't take food or water anymore and it was just a little bit of morphine and they're like 24 to 48 hours and then she passed that they're like 24 to 48 hours it went on for 17 days <sighs> and I didn't know what else to do because there was nothing she was in the house it was yeah. like residential hospice so I just sang I just sang and sang and I learned every song that I could remember her singing and like I don't know it just through that experience of like what and, and also you know the years of her brain was like folding in on itself for seven years and so when she lost the ability to speak we realized she could still sing mm. and I'm just like what like music is so powerful and it's so much more it's always been it's been something that I used to get out of you know the situation I was in as like a 14 15 16 year old getting out of Detroit getting to New York it was what I did to heal myself writing about my experiences for 20 years but I feel like now like it was almost in like a selfish way that I used it you know and not and not like I say that like just because it was never really turned outwardly it was always very much an introspective thing and by the intrinsic nature of being honest I think about stuff like that people relate yeah. and you connect and that's it I mean that's where yeah. the good stuff happens and yeah. that's how it can become universal and you know you have to start inward you yeah. know I think yeah. when anything you put out there if it's not authentic and it's not coming from that almost that selfish place you know like mm -hmm. I'm doing this that's it's, I don't know that's where it's the most beautiful to me yeah I think yeah but yeah Wow, I didn't know that about your mother. I, yeah. And I knew she passed away, but I didn't yeah. know that um, how, how special that must be, have been to be able to, to give that to her. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, I, I was there a lot over the seven years, but then I was there for three months at the, the very end when she, once she went into hospice. And, and yeah, the 17 days. And I just wrote, I had to write a final paper for this school. Um, yeah. And we could write anything about vibration, which is, you know, anything because everything is vibration everything is string theories everything's sound um and so i wrote mine on imaginal cells which i became obsessed with during those 17 days like when um when i was watching this like happen i was also watching a lot of nature shows because it was just the only thing that i could really digest or like you know what i mean and i also just needed to remember that there was really beautiful stuff in the world and there was one episode about um, caterpillars becoming butterflies and I had no idea that these imaginal cells, do you know about the imaginal cells? Mm -mm. So the the cells of the butterfly are in the caterpillar and they lay dormant for most of the caterpillar's life um, and they have the DNA of the butterfly written into them so they have the DNA of flight written into them and scientists had to invent a word they said because it doesn't happen anywhere else in right. nature called imaginal cells and towards the end of the caterpillar's life when they're getting like big and soft and slow um, these imaginal cells start to activate and they vibrate at a different frequency and at first the immune system of the caterpillar thinks that it's getting sick and it starts to try to fight them off and it's successful at first but the imaginal cells duplicate and they all start to um, activate and they start to, they don't duplicate, they all start to activate and then they create strands and once they create these strands they start to take over and the immune system can't fight it anymore and so the caterpillar sheds its last skin and it, you know, it molts for the last time and it goes into the cocoon and the caterpillar doesn't just transform it doesn't become right. a butterfly, like, damn, right. it actually has to digest 
90% of itself. It has to eat itself. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh so it completely, everything liquefies except for the imaginal cells and a small part of the nervous system. And then those imaginal cells very quickly use this like nutrient-rich, you know, sort of bug soup. And, uh, and then form the, the antenna and the wings and all these parts of the butterfly. Wow! Um, and then the new studies they did just like prove that part of the caterpillar's memory actually survives in the butterfly, probably in that part of the nervous system that isn't digested. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so I became obsessed with this because I was basically watching this happen to my mother. Like, I was watching this liquid, and it's actually the same amount of time, or approximately, like, it's like two weeks, you know, or so wow. with the butterfly, the caterpillar, and yeah. then it's like 17 days, and I was watching this, like, liquefying process and this sort of this like battle for spirit under the skin, you know what I mean? Mm. Like it was really, it gave me some comfort to sort of like the grotesque and like just the, the animalistic yeah. side of like totally. what we are, you know? Right. Um, so that's what I wrote my paper on. I'm not sure I just went on that tangent, but. No, I'm glad you did. That's, that's yeah. fascinating. I don't think I remember learning. I must have learned that in middle school or something, but I don't remember I don't any of it. No, like, like the diagrams I remember like depict like a, a, you know, a caterpillar inside of a cocoon, like, yeah, exactly. turning into, exactly. and it's like, no, yeah. that is not what happens. And so my yeah. point of the paper was really to say, like, scientists say they had to make up that word, which I think is kind of bullshit, I think. On a, on a macro, on a micro level, women are born with all the eggs we're going to carry in our lives, and inside yeah. of those eggs are other eggs. So, like, is that not the DNA of a new life, you know, written into our cells? And then on a ma macro level, I feel like we are imaginal cells. Like, when we're you know, vibrating into a higher consciousness and we're linking up and we're sharing our stories and we're sharing information, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I sort of see, like, you know, um, evolution as, like, us being, like, imaginal cells. Yeah, that's so, and totally. Like a really abstract, yeah, way that's to think cool. about it. <laughs> wow. So, I would love to know, one thing I, I like to, to sort of tackle on the podcast is, I love getting to hear from creatives what what are like who are some of the influences that they've had and who is someone whose creativity really moves you mm -hmm. and that's a very like large question so maybe just like lately who's someone who's who you've been really like admiring their work mm. um these vinyls right behind you this teacher that i had in school this guy randy masters who actually makes all these tuning forks now oh, he yeah. was a musician he put out these four records between like 76 and 82 all under the name solar plexus and the first one, Voices, he had just started teaching at um, U of C Santa Cruz. And uh -huh. so he used the choral group from 76 at the school on this record. And there's like two tracks, you can't really find them online. He emailed me some MP3s and I'm going to try to help him because he owns all the masters and the label's gone. I'm like, let's just re-release these because they're not available anywhere and they're beautiful. Oh, cool. And so I've been listening. You can find like two of the songs on YouTube. I'll send you some links if you want to post yeah. them. Yeah. But awesome. yeah, that's been really like... Like, non-verbal non sort of, like, stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just that's when, like, people had that in their life, and then they move on, and, like, he went and got his, like, degree in divinity and now makes tuning forks and is still, like, teaching is on this whole other... Wow. But I think, yeah, like, stuff like that where people... There's different chapters to the story, you yes. know, like... Yes, definitely. Um, and it sounds like you have a lot of chapters, too, which is cool, like... You were just showing me when I walked in some of her beautiful art. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you've always sort of gotten, been able to get lost in, you know, is art in addition to music? Um, I feel like 
it's something I forgot about until recently. Like, I've always, like, you know, here and there, I'll, like, pull out books and, you know, like, I'll go when I'm away for a weekend upstate or something, I'll bring some pencils and, you know, but, like, really dedicating, like, daily time. Like, I just bought myself, um, that little, uh, it's like a super light, it's called a field easel. Mm. So you can just have it anywhere. Um, for Christmas, that was, like, one of my Christmas presents to myself and just really using it, like, setting it up every day and, because it's so therapeutic and, yeah. um, and I just really feel, yeah, in touch totally. with myself and with spirit when I'm painting. It's a holy meditative experience. Yeah. I think it's so true. You know, I think art can be such a meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think when you say meditation, people think of just one form of it. But mm-hmm. art, to me, like when you're really in it. There's active like, meditation. Right. There's activating right. ways to get into meditation, too. Yeah, yeah, one thing. yeah. One thing I just learned that was really cool, that's because I've always struggled with sitting still. Like, Same. <laughs> I have that thing, uh-huh, you know, and uh-huh. I do it, but I struggle. And one of the things we learned in this, one of these classes was just like kirtan, which I've never done before, but just chanting as like a way yeah. of, and like call and response, or even just chanting and singing as a way of getting yourself into like that meditative, like yeah. sometimes yoga, doing yoga first, or like. I had one teacher who told us to, like, have orgasms first, and then, like, really? and that's what her guru had told her to do, because <laughs> it's, yeah. like, uh, there's a way, of, I don't care what she called it, it's, like, an arousal meditation, there's different ways to get there, it's, like, it could be, like, a central arousal, or it could be, like, you know, a singing arousal, or just, right. like, whatever, right. it's, like, an activation. That's so interesting, I wonder, yeah, I remember, like, my friend, um, Greg, um, telling me, like, when I was going through a really, like, a moment of high anxiety, and... Mm. He, he like I talked to him about that a lot, and he, cause he he gets it, and he was told me like just go like put yourself in a room and just sing like as long like one note as long mm-hmm. as you can, mm-hmm. and it, that really did help. You know, mm-hmm. it does help when yeah. I'm like very in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, also if you sing really loudly, yeah, the back of your throat vibrates and it stimulates the vagus nerve, and the vagus mm-hmm. nerve is what stimulates your pineal and releasing like all the the yummy endorphins and oh, uh, melatonin and all the like wow. the good stuff. So yeah, so singing loud, like really getting that like I want uh-huh. to right now. But you know what I mean uh-huh. Uh-huh. when you can feel it vibrating. Yeah, that vagus nerve is right there. Um, and also, it's impossible to. I think it's impossible to experience depression when you're singing. Right, right. Even if you're singing a sad song, totally. like you're in that moment it's of so like sawuji, but not like so much I know. depression. You know, so true. That's why yeah. I think everybody should sing, no matter mm-hmm. oh, there's how major, it sounds. And there's so many other health benefits to singing exactly. outside of just yeah. even like yeah. emotional health. Yeah, yeah. Yay for singing. Let's mm-hmm. keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and you are a beautiful singer. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm such a fan of yours. I always have been, and. Now, on that topic, what is, um, can you tell us maybe one or two really memorable experiences, either on the road or, you know, recording with somebody, mm-hmm. anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I think I was just starting to tell you my, uh, my, a minute ago before this one, yes. Katie, my great aunt, my Mima, my Mima Duncan's little sister, my Aunt Oline Boone down in Tennessee, got called up on stage at the Ryman by Loretta Lynn, and, uh, she was like 23 or something. And somebody offered her a shot of whiskey as she was stepping up. And she's like, no, I'm not going to take it. Like, I want to be, like, tight. Yeah. And she stepped up, and she had total stage fright. Aww. Couldn't sing a note. Never really sang again. 
but was like my favorite like crazy aunt like the only one who like wasn't in like the born again christian world and be like she was like you know chain smoking on christmas and i would go out and sit with her and she'd tell me stories about like how her cat said her name and like because <laughs> she was my favorite um yeah. and she passed away when i was like 19 she got cancer i think pancreatic cancer and um and i i got to say goodbye to her and i really just like adored her and so i got to play the ryman probably four or five years after she passed away i was opening up for tegan and sarah oh yeah and i was telling my friend daisy daisy lowe this story and she was like, you have to go to every corner of the stage and you have to clap and scream hallelujah and you have to reclaim the energy of the stage for your family. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I didn't have any time because we were openers and we were right, rushing, right. you know, there's no time to clap in every corner. And so I remembered her saying that towards the end of the show I did this one, it was like the Magician's Private Library Tour and I would do this uh, hymnal that I'd written hallelujah, usually by myself towards the end. And... Um, and so I had, like, a moment on stage, and I just told the story of, like, oh, Annaline. Yeah. And then I told what Daisy told me to do. And so they turned on the house lights, and everybody in the Ryman stood up and clapped and screamed hallelujah. Wow. And then I played, yeah, and I was just, like, trying not to cry oh. through this hymnal. Um, but it really, oh, like, I could feel, like, Aline wow. there. Yeah, and it was, like, a full circle. That's incredible. Moment. Yeah, that was probably one of the most special. Yeah, I can see why. Moments so that cool. I've had, yeah. Wow. Also, just getting to play the Sydney Opera House oh, was, wow. yeah, such when a When was that? Um, I went down, Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson had me down to play the Vivid Festival in, like, 2011. Oh. That's amazing. Something like that, yeah. So, and speaking of just thinking of places, we were just talking about um, how you go to spend some time at Ibiza a lot, and mm-hmm. and you go to Spain frequently, that's mm-hmm. where I'm from, and we're sort of just talking about the magical islands there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm wondering if you could, we didn't, I didn't ask you this, but what is it really about that place that feels special to you? Mm, I mean, for me now, because I've been going for a few years, it's the relationships and, like, the friendships that I have, but I think part of what makes those friendships so special is that when I'm there, we're just living, mm. you know? There's not a big point mm-hmm. to, no one has a, you know, well, there's not a lot of, like, appointments to get to or things right, to do, right. um, and every day is just, like, this beautiful variation on the last day, you know, it's a little bit like Groundhog's Day, Yeah, it's like, uh... Um, I spend a lot of time in hammocks. I definitely play frisbee every day. You know, I play petanque on Sundays. I play quite a few games of backgammon every day. Uh, you know, and then there's some big, like, delicious meal where everybody comes over and brings an instrument and we wind up playing music to, like, you know, I don't know, the wee hours. And then go to bed and, like, wake up and do it again. And swim in the ocean, you know, oh, yeah. in there. It sounds very much like the life in Mallorca yeah, as but well. But I'm far away from any, like, uh, I think what people think of when they hear Ibiza is, like, the part. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't hear that. <laughs> totally. Oh, totally. I'm, like, old farm country. Yes, know. yes. Yeah, same. I never... And, I mean, it's not as much so a thing in Mallorca, but people think that you go there to party as well. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't be further from that Where whenever I go to the little village my family's from in Deia. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there is a part of it, like, you know, there's a little part of um, the culture there that's like that, but it's so much more about just artists being there mm-hmm. and just living life and, and, um, and, yeah, it's all about art and yeah. beauty and slowing down. Yeah. Um, and great conversations, And great too. conversations. And, and great food, like, like you said. I have some, like, you know, 
there's definitely some cultural, not, not even cultural, I think generational ideology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's yeah. some major differences, and I have to really pick and choose what I want to um, battle or take on, and for the most part, I'm just like, eh. Yeah, I'm just really so relaxed. Yeah, yeah, I'm You're just like, yourself. you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's, yeah, but it's, it's, uh, I learn a lot about myself, I think, every time that I, I go and return, and then probably at one point I just won't return. <laughs> when, you, when you feel like it's, you you're ready, you're right to mm-hmm. not return. Mm-hmm. I um, I thought it was interesting. You were we were talking about how um, about a lot of your friends there are a lot older, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this a lot, like in recent years, about mm-hmm. because I'm somebody who I have friends who are in their sixties and even seventies that are like I would consider very close friends. I have friends who are in their twenties who are considered very close friends and. You know, I'm 36, so mm-hmm. I love this intergenerational friendships, mm-hmm. and I think, I guess I don't hear people talk about it a lot, or mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm just wondering what your what your thought on that is, because you obviously have friends that are on a totally different age group than you as well, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, what do you think about that, and like, what do you learn from from people that are very much outside your age group? Um, I find that I. I'm more attached to like what is everyone's age than everyone else is. Right. Specifically there. Like I feel like my friend Daniel, who I'm always staying with, you know, he's like in his, he's 50 or so. And I'm always like, oh, how old are they? How old? Because somewhere in my head, that's sort of like, it must be some sort of box that I'm putting someone into. You know what I mean? Like that classification of like, oh, oh, maybe that's why they said that. Or, oh, 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 that's why they can get away with saying that. Or like, do you know what I mean? And and he's just, and he called me out on it last year. He's like, what? Like, why do you care so? Like, I've never, he's like, I've never thought so much about what age everyone is than you asking me every time that you meet someone new. And I'd like never really, and it really like had, made me have to stop and think about it. And now I don't, like I, I consciously try to not, let that factor into, and it's not like it's factoring into, oh, I'm going to be friends with you or not friends with you. You're like, just curious. I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah. but for me, like, you know, there's some, uh, I love hanging out with people who know a lot more than me, and I don't know that much, so it's pretty easy, you know, <laughs> but I particularly just like, I like like 60 and plus, that's like my yeah. sweet spot of friends. Totally. <laughs> I remember when I was like a little, not a little girl, actually, I was not that young, um, like in middle school, and then I started, people started to have the kids started to have parties, you mm-hmm. know, and I go, and I would always be downstairs with the adults. <laughs> I think I just made, like, I've always been that way, like, mm-hmm. talking to the older people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess I'm an old soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had two older sisters. My sisters are 10 and 7 years older than me. Um, I think I was the try for a boy. Uh, but, <laughs> so I was always, yeah, just surrounded by, like, when I was 10, my 17-year-old sister had to take care of me all the time, so it was me and a bunch of, like, teenagers, you know? Yeah. And them trying to bribe me not to tell them all the, like, bad <laughs> shit they were doing. <laughs> um, so, switching gears, a question I ask a lot, I always love to hear the answer to this, is who or what has been one of your greatest teachers? Hmm. Um... I think probably forgiveness has been one of my greatest teachers, you know. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, uh, yeah. I don't know what more to say about yeah. that. But, yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That's an ongoing one, I think, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Forgiveness yeah. for others and for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And just learning to, uh, 
to let go. This book over here that I have, this Young Pueblo book. Have oh, you read yeah. Inward? I haven't read it, but I've absolutely heard of it, and I've read some of the stuff. I yeah. feel like this is just all about forgiveness and, and letting go. And um, Yeah, I would say this has been a big... I've been just mm -hmm. carrying this around, and it's probably dog-eared every single page. That's the like, best. I love since that. it came out, which yeah. I don't even think it's been like six months. This has been a huge one for me lately. I feel like I remember us talking about Mary Oliver. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, she's a big one for me, and I think you too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. books, reading, you know, I think the biggest teacher is learning other people's stories. Like, yeah. I've been reading a lot of, like, Krishnamurti, watching a lot of different videos. I just discovered Gangaji. Do you know that? No. This woman who, uh, said he was the, uh, I don't know, I'm going to get all the names messed up, but I'm just kind of, I mean, I've always been interested in, you know, I grew up in a super um, strict religious, like born-again Christian. I had to go to church five days a week for 14 years. Wow. Um, and I was this, like, budding lesbian in this world who was, like, and, like, a weirdo artist who was just, you know, like, how am I going to get out of oh, here? Wow. You know? Is that what you were saying when you are your music helped you sort of escape Yeah, that. I mean, I left at 16. Yeah. I told my parents that I was going to go visit my sister in New York, and I took two suitcases and then called them and was like, I'm not coming back, and yeah. finished high school there. And um, and I've just, you know, I've been on my own since since then for the last 20 years. That's a really big thing to have to battle with, is like yeah. feeling like, I don't know, like a, 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 you're in a world that feels so, like, not understanding or your people or <laughs> like yeah. what you're well everything that you're feeling you know especially when you're in that age where you're like exploring yes, your yes. boundaries and your feelings and what do you like and what you don't like and you know and you don't even really want to have to put a label on what it is or what it isn't absolutely but yeah feeling like whatever you even want to explore is immediately you're going yeah. to hell for it you know and not even just like sexuality just like I mean from such a young age I was just everything was like so you know so much duality you know, yeah. it's like heaven or hell. Like, yeah, right. So like, not no. Yeah, I never, I never grew up um, very religious, so I don't, I don't know what that's like. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like, but I can imagine that must be very difficult to be, you know, um, just yeah. having to go to church five days a week. But that's not week, what yeah. you and your heart really. I tried. Yeah, I sincerely tried, and I was, I was also in public school though, which was weird because my parents were like. Not involved in my school really at all, but every year would call to tell my teachers what I could and couldn't learn about. So if it was like evolution or dinosaurs yeah. or like magic or sex ed, yeah. I had to go sit in the hallway. Really? Which just made me other. You know, oh, just immediately yeah. made me like the weird, like yeah. to the teachers. Yeah, teachers were annoyed with me. Yeah. The kid, you know, so it's like not only was I like in church and also not really feeling what those kids were feeling, but now I'm in school. And having Aww. to be, like, the weirdo church kid, you know? Aww. And so I tried super hard to, like, because it wasn't just my parents or my siblings. It was my, my parents had met in church. So my grandparents on both sides went to the same church. So it was all my aunts and uncles, wow. all my cousins, and there was a lot of them. Like, wow. So when I was 14, I went on a missions trip to Belarus, and I took medical supplies to areas affected by Chernobyl, and I had to raise all this money to, like, go and do this. I really wanted to do it. And, um, and it was there that I finally, like, stopped trying. Like, I was in this yeah. little town, and I, I was 14, and I had a, a group of 30 kids who were also my age, and I had two interpreters, 
Um, and during the day, it was like fun, like elective, like, you know, uh, here's lunch, here's, here's breakfast, we're going to play games, you're going to, you know, some parables, but super light dogma. Um, and then at night, there was like an elective revival service that they could come to if they want. I mean, it was all elective, nothing was mandatory. Yeah. But like, there was a revival service, but it's Gomol, and there's nothing else to do. So of course they're going to come, and there I'm supposed to like lay hands on them and tell them that Jesus is going to save them. And we're the same age, but they all look like they're about five years younger from the cancer that's in the water and in their bodies. And, and in those afternoons in between the like daytime stuff and the nighttime stuff, they would come to my hotel and throw rocks at my window and I would go out and just hang out with these kids and they taught me how to climb up in the Statue of Lenin and look at his eyes. Like, I had like a shot of vodka for the first time. Like, they wanted to wear my glasses, you know? And I just couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't lay my hands and tell these, like, now friends of mine that I believed Jesus because they wanted to believe. Like, I had mothers coming up to me trying to get me to take their little kids home with me. You know, and like I sat in the water. You weren't supposed to sit in the water, and I accidentally sat in it while like bathing. Yeah. And I don't remember three days of the trip. I got so sick. Like I probably have some radiation. Oh man. Um, But it was really intense, you know. And so I came back from that trip, and I was supposed to testify in front of the church, and I just told my, I said, I don't believe in your God. Is what I told my parents at fourteen. Yeah. How did they like react to that? Um, they said we're failures as parents, which is actually ironically the same thing they said when I came out to them a few years later. Oh man! And at that point, I was like, "Yeah, maybe, but probably not for the reasons yeah. that you're thinking. Like, yeah. probably because you keep repeating this phrase to yeah. your child." <laughs> yeah, you know, it has to be so hard though to just. I mean, I yeah, I I, I I'm I feel lucky that my parents, um, you know, um, never. Like, they just are kind of, like, be who you are and whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of my friends haven't had that. And mm-hmm. it sort of just breaks my heart, you know, yeah. to hear that, you yeah. know? And, but despite that, you know, it sounds like you've had really amazing relationships with your parents or you've been able to. I mean, I didn't... The Really, when my mom got sick was when I started... I wasn't really around for, like, 15 years. Yeah. Um, I was sort of... I mean, I, every once in a while, you know, like a Christmas here, but I was, like, the the black sheep. I was, like, the gay mm. black sheep where nobody really was asking how I was or... You know what I mean? It was just sort of, like... I think the safe way to, like, ask me how I was was, are you making money? Was oh, like the, but never... Nobody wanted to know, oh, like, yeah. about my relationships yeah. or... You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But it's fine. I mean, that's, that's like, the family I was born with. And yeah. then I have, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, I have this girl. incredible chosen family totally, all totally. around the world of all these freaks and artists and musicians and wonderful people like yourself that I've gotten yeah. to, like, no, you know, yeah, like... Yeah. There's no lack of, like, love or community or, like, support in my life. Like, you know, clearly. But that doesn't change if it's not, like, you know, your parent. I mean... Um, but yeah, when my mom got sick is when I started going home, and I realized, like, this is my chance to really get to know my mom, yeah, and to have a relationship with her, and which was a super intense way to do it, totally. um, and it was a complete role reversal, and now I did the things that she did for me as, like, a child, you know, I tied her shoes, yeah. like, I changed yeah. her diapers, I did all that stuff, you know, for a long time, and it was a really beautiful, yeah. like, I'm so grateful that my lifestyle, you know, allowed me the ability to be there for months at a time. Absolutely. To, like, to do that with her. Yeah. Um, and to go through that. And, and yeah, I mean, would I trade it for something else? Sure. But 
you know, I'm like glad that I, I got to at least do that. And also I see that like, I mean, our parents are just people who are working out their shit. That's right. And, like, that's right. They're just human. And looking at where they came from and what their whole like life and knowing what my grandparents, like yeah. I, I can see the evolution and I can see that evolution is like this flattened out slinky. And it's like, as you're going forward, you're going backwards. You yeah. know, it's like this, it's like two steps forward, one step back all the time. And I can see like the... Um, the hereditary stuff that they were carrying, and I can also see where it ends. Yeah, totally, you know what I mean. Totally. Like I can look at those patterns, and I can like, I can. I feel like I can heal that for our family and for like the ancestry, and yes, yes, and have some like closure with the judgmental and the the. Which really, it's just fear. It's just fear. It's That's just exactly fear, right. and it's really just yeah. denying of your own. Um, yeah, your own animalistic like our, our nature. You know, right. I think it's like hard to to it's it's a, a mature, certain level of maturity and like growing older to learn to really have compassion for people who like you know it's it's it'd be very easy to just be like well like screw them you know what I mean but mm -hmm. to be able to like do what you did with your mother is just see her as a whole person and not mm -hmm. just for this one thing that maybe she's not accepting you of you know who you mm -hmm. are fully but mm -hmm. you can still do that with her like okay I mm -hmm. don't love this part of her that she's not accepting me but mm -hmm. I do love her mm -hmm. and um I, I don't know especially like these like and where we're at right now mm -hmm. you know in the world like I think it's very easy to just mm -hmm. get very angry about other opposing views you know mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm trying to learn that is to yeah. just soften a bit feed your enemy exactly don't fight them exactly and recognize that everybody has a story and mm -hmm. I think the more we listen to everyone's stories and instead of just making quick judgments I mean that's where we really really can soften and mm -hmm. cultivate compassion and that's the imaginal cells yeah so yeah yeah creating these strands through yeah. like time and space you know totally forwards and backwards and I love um not love I wanted to note rather what you were saying about you know, going through this feeling of not belonging, and I just think all like all of us have felt that. Whether it's through our parents, like I was saying, I never felt that. Like I never felt the way through my parents, but like when I was in middle school, you know, I remember being just. Um, I had just we moved back from Spain to the states, and then I was in when I first moved from. Um, from Spain to Boston, mm -hmm. I was in a bilingual school, mm -hmm. so I felt very like at home there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. But then we moved to this um, really like rich area in Boston, Brookline, mm -hmm. and like you know, my parents were divorced, but they did not have a lot of money, so mm -hmm. I was like, a, you know, we like we went to Taco Bell to celebrate, you know, <laughs> like that was like the big deal. I was going, woohoo, Taco Bell. Um, so I just we didn't have a lot of money, and all my friends at school were like super had were coming from really rich parents, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I had that going on too. Really? Yeah, we were yeah. like the automotive <laughs> community. We moved to Tennessee. I was born in Detroit, and then we moved to Tennessee, and then when we came back to Detroit, white flight had happened, so everybody lived like ten minutes outside in these like suburban, these little white bubbles, these little like. Norman Rockwell paintings come to life, and it was all the automotive money. And we somehow got a house, but it was like, you know, like, my dad was a pyramid schemer, so it was like, sometimes things worked, and sometimes things did not, right. and it would go from like, hey, we got a boat, to hey, we're on food stamps, oh, to like, man, hey, yes, like, yes. total but instability. Totally, yeah. 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 So yeah, so, you know yeah. that feeling. So yeah, it was that, and then like, my parents were divorced, and of course, every, no one else's parents were divorced, except for 
like two other people in the school and so we were put into like a special divorced kids group like mm -hmm. they actually had a group but it didn't feel like a very nurturing group it was divorced more like kids group right it was very bizarre <laughs> like i don't know i just remember feeling so like like they were just trying to train me that like, or teach me that i was different mm -hmm. you know um and luckily, I made one of my best friends that way, my friend Emily, mm -hmm. um, who also was part of the divorce group. <laughs> divorce group. Like, um, <laughs> just really silly, you know. Like, they but, just wanted you to be, like, what was the point of that? Yeah, I, I don't talk know. talk to other kids I, about your parents' divorce? There must have been some goodness behind that, but right. I, don't, I did not feel that way to me in the moment. I felt right. very much like, we are the weirdos, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I, the point is, I was just going to say that I feel like all of us at some point in our lives have felt like we don't belong, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's just a matter of like... It's because we're just, trying to belong to something. Right, 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 right. And I think, but to your point, I think it's so important to remember that there's always, like, you do belong, and you're, you can always mm -hmm. find your people, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. it takes a little longer than you would like, but oh, yeah. they're there. Yeah, you know? now, when I stepped foot in this open mic night in the East Village at the Sidewalk Cafe, and I signed up for this, that I'd written two songs, this was when I was 15, I went the summer before I moved there, this is how I knew, I was like, this is where I have to go, and I signed up, and I'd written two songs, and, um, I drew, like, the number to play at, like, 3 in the morning or something. Like, I had to sit there all night long. <laughs> and it was fine, because I, I was, like, paying your due. You know, I had to sit there. There was no, like, jumping earlier. And so I got up and played my two little songs to, like, you know. And I, through the course of the night, I was like, oh, my God, all these freaks and these poets and these weird, like, these are my people. Like, <laughs> yes. I never felt like I belonged anywhere, you know. And, like, oh, like, I get this. And then I played my two little songs, and the guy who hosted the open mic night, Latch, was like, do you want a gig? Um... And I told him, I was like, I've only written two songs, and I don't live here. Uh, and he wrote a little review of the night and mailed it to me in Michigan. And uh, and I, I remember the, the review arrived in the mail. It wasn't a review, it was like a zine that he made. Uh -huh. And a little tiny blurb, which was my first review, was in it. Yeah. About, like, my impressive debut, you know, written two songs and, like, had interest in moving to New York. And I ran downstairs to read it to my mom. And I think part of her reaction was just out of fear of not wanting me to leave. Yeah. But she was standing there making this soup, this tortellini soup, like I'll never forget. <laughs> and she was stirring this thing, and I read her, it was like just like two sentences, and I was like so excited. And she just went, This soup needs more salt. It was like wow. she could, like she didn't want to give me wow. encouragement into like that. Like she knew I was gonna go and do this, and right. you know, but that moment just gave me like the drive to be like, oh, I have to get out of here. Yeah, like, I have to go. You were like, you lit up, and you're like, this is yeah, yeah this is like, what I need to oh, do. Like you know, yeah, yeah, I just felt like my musical gift would have been cultivated, but it would have been cultivated to me like marrying like a worship leader and being like a worship leader at a church. Right. You know, like, right. that would have been the extent of it. And once I came out, I would have been sent to like pray the gay away camps. Like oh, that was yeah. the gist. So I was like, I got to get out of here. And then I can like tell everybody who I am. But first I just have to go. Yeah. So yeah, I saved up for like a year, every penny that I oh. could. And then just like wrote all the songs I could and went back and was like, I'm ready for my gig. Totally. And, and I started playing shows and I was so scared. I had oh, the worst man. stage fright, like, really? for so long. I was terrified to get on stage. Like, I don't know how I did it. Well, how did you do it? Were you just know. like, I have to do this and force yourself to get through I it? I would just be like, yeah, like, 
losing my shit until like right before I had to step on stage and then sometimes still losing my shit. I remember one time I was opening up for Chris Barron from The Spin Doctors and it was like, remember after he lost his voice for a year and a half and then he came back and he was making music? He was playing a little gig at the Sidewalk Cafe and I scored like the opening slot, which was like a coveted, you know, moment. Yeah. And um, I got on stage and I broke three G-strings. Oh like, no! I must have had like a burr on my uh-huh. nut, you know, uh-huh. which sounds terrible, but... <laughs> yeah, like the nut where the string goes. Every time I put one on, it broke and broke, and I didn't have any more G strings. And I was like, <laughs> "What am I gonna do?" <laughs> so I went up to him. I didn't really realize it was him. He had like a long beard, and I was like, "Can I borrow your guitar? Like, I still have a couple songs left." I'm like in the audience. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, he's like, "Yeah, as long as you get all your friends to stay for my set." I was like, oh, "Sure." <laughs> And just, like, powered my way through on this weird guitar. I was uncomfortable. You know, you just, like, you get through it. You, you know, do that, it. Stuff like that has to happen to give you the confidence. To be like, uh, all right, the kind of the worst case scenario has happened, and I survived it. Yeah. So now I And then I hung out with him until, like, 7 in the morning, and then never saw him again. He really? told me some amazing stories. Wow! Like, oh, that's cool. He told me how he wrote uh, Two Princes. He had a crush on some girl from high school, and he ran back into her. And he went to his friend, and he's like, I think I want to ask her out. And his friend was a big stoner. <laughs> and his friend just kept going, just go ahead now. Just go ahead now. Oh, that's hilarious. Just go ahead now. That's where I came from. <laughs> that's where I came from. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, so I don't want to forget to ask you what I always ask everybody on the podcast, which is, um, you know, you can feel free to share as little or as much as you want about kind of going through the hard times, but we all do, whether it's, you know, some people every day and some people go through spells and, you know, Mm -hmm. so when you are going through a hard time, whether it is just having a bad day or going through a, a, like a bout of depression or whatever that looks like, Mm -hmm. um, what what do you pull on to help you get through it? Um, I think, I think it's important to feel what you're feeling. You know, I think it's really important to... I've been learning a lot about grief the last year, you know, um, and it's just important to let yourself cry. And there's nothing weak about crying, you know, it's a very strong and like vulnerable and a very cleansing thing. And once you can let go of those emotions, you open yourself up to feel other things, you know, and I think with depression, I think sometimes you have to like go into what, what it is, you know, what is it that you're holding on to that needs to be released yeah. that's causing, because I mean... You know, it's about it's about attachment, really. You know, this whole all this Christian worthy stuff I've been reading is about how pain and pleasure are two sides of the same coin, you know? And it's not about pleasure, it's about attachment, it's about wanting something to repeat, you know, yeah. and I think depression sometimes can come with the lack of, you know, it can come from a feeling of lack and yeah. not a belief of like abundance. You yeah. know? So I think a lot of it is is healing our minds and healing the way that we perceive and we interact with each other and like the world on like a greater level you know that's been something because I've definitely battled depression my whole life and I've battled anxiety and you know I've been through intense things and you know I've learned to heal myself through it it's something I'm continually doing I had this one class in the school about releasing stuck emotion and the different steps were um it's a few different options, but one of them is to make the sound of that emotion. Mm. You know, it's to physically go into your body and, like, whatever it is, if it requires, like, shaking. That's another class I had on shaking medicine, wow. which is really good. And that can be, like, a very meditative thing. It's just to physically 
yeah. shake your body for a while and to make those sounds and to let them out. And you can make the sounds that your body wants to make to release that emotion and then vibrate it into a harmony or vibrate it into love or light, however that is for you. Um, and that's been a really helpful tool for me. That's it's great. like, even if I'm out somewhere and I feel like, you know, I feel very sensitive to other people's energy, especially yes. in like city settings. And me too. And if I start to <laughs> yeah. feel like, I'll just start toning. Like, I'll start toning in a restaurant. Even if it's in my head or quietly, like, I'll just start oming or toning or making some sound that my body needs to make to sort of reinforce my little energy yeah. field and my little egg and aura. It's, and these tuning forks, these, yeah. these ones right here, I was having a lot of anxiety, and I just went through... Um, all the forks at the school, like in the showroom of the school, and just tried every frequency on my chest plate, and like that's the one, the, for me anyways, that like, it gives me a very yeah. sense of, of wholeness. And ease and wholeness, yeah, that's, it definitely calmed me down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, I'm always curious to talk about other, like fellow empaths, you know, like if you're, because I very much feel other people's energy, mm-hmm. it affects me deeply, mm-hmm. and like I, I think what comes to mind the most, and most recent, like, you know, in more recent times, um, um, gosh, like a year-ish ago, a year and a half ago, I was in a job, I loved the job, but the people that I worked with, not everybody, mind you, like, some of these people are wonderful people, but there were just some toxic people, Mm -hmm. and, like, the energy was just, like, awful, like, just kind of really mean people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and every time I went to work, I would feel like, actually like throwing up like mm-hmm. I'm just feel nauseous mm-hmm. and I'm just, just picking that up you know mm-hmm. um and it really brought this whole thing to my attention like in a in a like profound way where I'm just like I don't know I, I still am trying to figure find techniques because mm-hmm. you know knowing that that was going on and how my body was reacting to it like I would try to go in and be like okay I'm gonna like just go in and like not let these people's energy affect mm-hmm. me I'm gonna stay the way I am and and just kind of let it roll off. As much as I tried to visualize that and mm-hmm. make it happen, it just, like, didn't. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. So I'm just curious if you have any tools or tips for that kind of thing, if anyone else yeah. out there well, struggles thinking, with that. Yeah, being in control of your energy is a big thing, you know? Uh, for me, a big, like, level upper was just stopping drinking mm. fully, you know? Uh, which has just made me feel much more in control of my energy field, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on like a on a daily level it's been meditation and during that meditation doing a visualization of shields. Yeah. So I put myself inside a tetrahedron, mm. which is a three sided pyramid. And then I put that inside a double octahedron, which is half in the ground, mm-hmm. the bottom half of it. And then a circle around a gold circle around the base, like the middle of that. And I think that's a pretty common, um, like a shield exercise, yeah. visual exercise of just creating that space. Um, I think also learning, you know, once you're in touch with your with your chakras and you can really feel. I mean, everybody identifies chakras in different. I've been reading so many different books about how people visually see them color wise. Yeah. Um, the most common is that they come out as cones. So there's a cone in the front and a cone in the back, and they both spin, and they can spin any direction. And as they get clogged up with um, energy, you know, like pollution, they get polluted, they get stuck, and they stop spinning, and they stop doing the job, which is really processing information, you know, and then uh, exporting it to your, your, 
your ka, your spiritual body, and also to your endocrine and your physical body. Um, and so once you're in touch with feeling like, you know, each one and really being able to like, like you know, there's seed sounds, there's mm. notes, there's, there's so much that you can do physically with your breath and with sounds to correspond and to really be in touch. I think once you do that, you're also able to close them off when you need to. Mm. Okay, I need to do some homework on this. Yeah, so it's just like really just (laughs) even like visualizing, like see it as like an eye. You know, and when you're going into situations where it's like, you know, once you learn about like what the sacral is and what your solar does and what your heart does, you know, like you, you're like, okay, in this situation, maybe I need to have my heart open, but I need to close my solar. Or maybe I need to open my solar and be more in my power and close, you know what I mean? And like, and so doing that sort of underneath the like everyday shields that you're already putting on I think can be helpful thank you for that yeah and yeah I think at a very just practical basic level as much as you can surround yourself only with those people that have mm-hmm. matching energy or good energy yeah the better obviously right. good <laughs> I mean, luck <laughs> I know but you know I do find that I don't know as I like over the last number of years mm-hmm. I've been I've been much more um much better at just letting go of friendships that have not been the best energy mm-hmm. for me yeah. and whereas like years ago I just couldn't do that like mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to just be everyone's friend and be there for everyone mm-hmm. whenever they needed me mm-hmm. like that was my job and I finally I've broken through that I'm like yeah. nope and my life has been so much better since I've, I've done that so mm-hmm. as much as you can do that but then like you of course there's on a daily basis, you're going to run into mm-hmm. negative energy, and that's just yeah. and loving boundaries. Yeah, you can you can say no with love. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Thank you for all <laughs> sharing all that. So, lastly, I like to do a little round of your favorite things. Okay. So, um, things that have you know meaning to you. Okay. So let's start with uh, a favorite book. Um, a favorite book. I mean, I would say this young Pueblo inward right now is really my my go-to. Roque, Letters to a Young Poet is like oh, an all-time, yes. you know, classic. But I feel like it's getting a little popular. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, kind of, it's kind of the worst. It's the best and the worst at the same time. Yes, when like, I want everyone to have it. I know. Oh, please stop talking about it. That's how I feel about... I, I think I told you this, but... um, or, No, maybe I didn't tell you this. So I was... um talking with Krista Tippett, you know, um, who hosts on Bean mm-hmm. recently, and and she had said that, so I mean, now I'm hesitant to even mention this, but <laughs> I, um, I, my family's from this little village in Mallorca, mm-hmm. it's a very small village, and, um, you know, it used to be totally free, mostly free of tourists, there would be, some Germans would come in the summertime, but it would be very, just an oasis, and anyways, mm-hmm. so Krista was, um, when I first met her, she mentioned and I asked her where in Spain she had lived, because I knew she had lived in Spain through her bio. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells me, have you heard of this little village? And I I couldn't believe it, because I was like, that's my family's village, you know, mm-hmm. and there's such there's so few people there. And she goes, oh, I'm just nervous to go back, because I'm just worried it's going to be populated with tourists. And that's exactly what's happened to it. And mm-hmm. it's like, and on one hand, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad people have found this magical place. On the mm-hmm. other hand, I'm like, no, yeah, go away. Yeah. Like, cause that was the last time I was there. Um, like, this is just so silly, but the, this little, um, it's called La Cala. Like every, um, mm-hmm. you might notice everybody, but like in, in Mallorca and in, in, on the island, like there's every little beach is called La Cala mm-hmm. and Cala and the village mm-hmm. of, of the Cala of the village. And, um, 
and I was there and it was like that that was always my place to go to just like I don't know just be in my body and be calm and and it was just there would hardly be anybody there you know and anyways I, when I was there last time it was it was like I can't remember what month it was, but it was an off season, you know, mm -hmm. but it was so populated mm -hmm. with so many tourists. And I remember some um, girls, I think they were American, were sort of like making fun of this girl on the beach who um, was, you know, sunbathing topless, which is very common in Spain. Like, it was very normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, my God, look at her. And I'm like, well, this is so sad. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. So anyways, I'm rambling on. But no. it can be the same thing with a place or a book. or you, know, yeah. so you want people to know it, but yeah. you also want to keep it special. Yeah. Respect <laughs> so it. Respect it. I think that's more what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I went on a tangent no. there. Um, but how about a favorite album or song? Um, favorite album or song? I mean, I think George Harrison. Mm -hmm. You know, his solo record, I feel like every song off that. Well, that's My Sweet Lord. Um, that's probably one of my favorite records that I could, you know, if I had a record player on a desert island. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's the one. Um, how about a favorite place? Favorite place? Um, I mean, Ibiza yeah. is probably the favorite, you know, yeah, physical place. Awesome. <laughs> and this is the big one, but favorite memory that comes to mind? Hmm. Favorite memory is probably my mom, uh, before she was unresponsive, the last thing I sang, Stand By Me, and mm. she mouthed along the words to me. Oh man, now I'm gonna cry. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I can't hear that so, like that song comes on and I'm like, oh good. Yeah, yeah. She she couldn't really communicate much anymore, but she was going mm. just like mouthing along my words. Oh man. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's touching. Um well this is not as big, but how about a favorite podcast? <laughs> this one. This one obviously. obviously. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, no, I, I was joking, by the way. But I was like, obviously. <laughs> Just want to make sure that's clear. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Holly. This was so... I'm so glad we finally did this. Because yeah, we've been talking too. about it for a while. So... Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just so happy you're in San Francisco for the last little bit that I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. It's been nice. Awesome. Glad it stopped raining. Yeah. Totally. And I'm finally <laughs> getting some real spring weather. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you for having me. Monse, artists and their honest stories, is audio produced by the amazing Aaron Mooring, and the beautiful theme music you hear is by Heather Maloney.